people. Dean Millman, in one of his notes to Gibbon's history, called attention to that remarkable passage, and in particular to the date of its composition, ten years before the fall of the Bastille, and twelve before the beheading of the absolute monarch by the representatives of his affectionate people. In a later chapter of his history, Gibbon wrote, In France, the remains of liberty are kept alive by the spirit, the honour, and even the prejudice of 50,000 nobles. Here, Gibbon is referring to the resistance, in 1787, by portions of the French nobility to that same Bourbon absolutism. This resistance to the royal power caused many French peers, early in the Revolution, to espouse a number of the revolutionary reforms, only, as events accelerated, to find their support rejected and themselves condemned to the guillotine. A few years after Gibbon had extolled, in this way, the condition of France, Johann Wolfgang von Goethe was visiting Naples, then the capital of a powerful kingdom ruled by another branch of the House of Burman. Naples is a paradise, he wrote to a friend on the 16th of March, 1787. Everyone lives in a state of intoxicated self-forgetfulness, myself included. I seem to be a different person, whom I hardly recognise. Yesterday I thought to myself, either you were mad before, or you are mad now. Once again, as with Gibbon and France, the foreigner's praise came a decade before the convulsion. The story of the Neapolitan Revolution of 1799 isn't familiar outside Italy, because of its brevity, and also because its disastrous cultural consequences long weakened Naples' intellectual communion with the world. The so-called Parthenopian Republic, proclaimed by the Neapolitan bourgeoisie and intelligentsia in January 1799, and temporarily supported by French Republican troops, lasted barely six months. Reprisals by the re-established monarchs, who had for a time fled to Sicily, were so savage as to inhibit the life of the mind at Naples for decades to come. The central personalities of the present work, the French Louise d'Epinay and the Neapolitan Ferdinando Galliani, escaped these revolutions. Madame d'Epinay died in Paris at the age of 57 in 1783, and Galliani in Naples at 59 four years later. Theirs were the Années Voisines de 1787, invoked in Talleyrand's nostalgic pronouncement. Talleyrand had, of course, assumed that his vécu would be recognised as meaning, in particular, vécu à Paris. Madame d'Epinay lived continuously in Paris, or near it, for most of her life. The Neapolitan Abbé Galliani was a Parisian for ten years, until his official recall, a trauma that launched a long correspondence between these two. By predilection, he remained Parisian for the rest of his life. Melchior Grimm, a pivotal figure in the friendship of Galliani and Madame d'Epinay, fled the French Revolution and survived it. Another such associate, Denis Diderot, died five years before the fall of the Bastille. Had he lived longer, 
the great encyclopedist would certainly have been a hero to the Girondists. But the Girondists fell. And who, remembering that many a good and eminent man has been destroyed at the order of lesser men, would be bold enough to conjecture Diderot's fate? In The Bourbons of Naples, Harold Acton draws attention to the view of Jules and Edmond de Goncourt regarding the correspondence of Galliani and Louise d'Epinay. The letters of Galliani are just what the man was. They were written with a simplicity of apt expression which we have lost. Their great charm is that they are letters, pure and simple. One is conscious neither of effort nor pretension, yet they aim at and capture everything, men and systems. They have rods for monarchs as well as for the encyclopedists. The abbé goes from one subject to another.